You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from RAND. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's January 5th. As the destruction in Gaza continues, calls for a ceasefire are understandable. Who wouldn't want the violence and devastation to end? But these demands could make an already terrible situation even worse, says Rand's Raphael Cohen. That's because successful ceasefires require both sides to believe that a stop to the fighting serves their interests. Cohen, who recently spent time in Israel talking to citizens and Israeli military and security officials, says this is not the case right now. Israel sees itself facing an existential threat, he says. And when countries face existential threats, they will go to any length to guarantee their security and are less likely to act with restraint. This is partly why international ceasefire calls are ringing hollow. And even if calls for a ceasefire are ultimately successful, they may have unintended consequences. Israel, fearing a repeat of Hamas's October 7th attack, would fortify its border with Gaza with more walls, obstacles, and minefields than it uses currently. It would also likely restrict aid entering Gaza, again tempered by the fear that Hamas will use everything from concrete to fuel to rebuild its military infrastructure. This would make reconstruction in Gaza significantly more difficult. Israel might also ban the 18,000 Gazans who previously worked in Israel, given the fears that some of these people could have been a conduit of Hamas's intelligence-gathering efforts. Such a restriction would further stifle the chances that Gaza's economy bounces back from the conflict. And finally, a ceasefire doesn't necessarily mean that military operations would come to a complete stop. Hamas would still try to attack Israel, and Israel would still strike back against Hamas and other military groups. Ultimately, these conditions could lay the seeds for yet another, potentially even bloodier, Gaza war. So, if not call for a ceasefire, then what can the international community do to help ease the suffering in Gaza? Cohen offers three recommendations. First, pressure Israel to be more precise in its use of force. Second, push for more humanitarian aid for the people of Gaza. Third, and finally, on the very day after the war ends, force a difficult conversation with Israel about a long-term political solution to the conflict. Otherwise, Cohen says, the likely outcome would be a continuation of the violent cycle that has plagued the region for years. Moving to the world's other major conflict, Russia's war in Ukraine. In a new report, RAND researchers assess the costs that Moscow is incurring as a result of its invasion. Our experts estimate that Russia's military costs reached $40 billion as of September 2022. At this rate, the Kremlin's direct military spending may amount to almost $132 billion through the rest of this year. Looking at other costs, for all of 2022, Russian GDP losses were between $81 billion and $104 billion, with financial capital destruction, as measured by the market value of companies on the Moscow Stock Exchange, amounting to $322 billion. According to our experts, Russia can sustain these costs for at least several years, 
as its economy continues to rely on export revenue from oil and gas sales. However, over the long term, even with a stalemated war, Russia's economy and the standards of living for the Russian people are likely to decline. It's important to note that war costs alone won't lead Russia to end its invasion. More likely, a combination of many factors, battlefield losses, social unrest, dissatisfaction among Russian elites, and that economic decline and drop in living standards, would drive any change in the war effort. In recent years, U.S. military recruitment has experienced shortfalls, and the American public's overall confidence in the military is likewise declining. To find out whether these trends reflect public perceptions of the U.S. military, our researchers examined recent RAND survey data. Here are a few of the findings. First, public perceptions of veterans are overwhelmingly positive. About 30 to 80 percent of survey respondents endorsed positive stereotypes of veterans, and only 3 to 20 percent endorsed negative stereotypes. Second, about 54 percent of Americans would discourage a young person in their lives from enlisting in the military, but 61 percent would encourage them to join the military as an officer. Third, nearly one-quarter of adults believe that most Americans look up to the members of the military, and only 4% believe that most Americans look down on the military. Why do public perceptions about the U.S. military matter? Well, veterans are seen as a deserving target of public policies, and how the public views veterans today could sustain those levels of worthiness. Public views could also shape advocacy by interest groups and ultimately affect policy choices for years to come. In a new study, researchers from RAND, Stanford, and other institutions estimated how many people around the world are affected by tropical cyclones, including hurricanes and typhoons. They found that the number of people impacted by these intense storms has increased sharply, nearly doubling over the last two decades to roughly 800 million people in 2019. Tropical cyclones affected 117 countries and regions over the last two decades, with a handful of regions accounting for most of the exposure. Atlantic coastal North and Central America, the Caribbean, the Korean Peninsula and Japan, coastal Eastern Asia, Southeast Asia, and Eastern India and Bay of Bengal. Also during the study period, the age distribution of people exposed to cyclones has shifted away from children under the age of 5 toward people who are age 60 and older. This tracks with population trends in the regions most affected. And finally, the study found that people exposed to tropical cyclones are more socioeconomically deprived than those unexposed within the same country. It's important to note that the authors say the sharp rise in exposure to tropical cyclones can be attributed more to changing weather patterns than to population growth. They also expect this trend to continue, potentially increasing large-scale destruction and risk of mortality and diseases in many parts of the world. We'll close today's episode with a little advice from one of our researchers. Now that we've officially entered an election year here in the U.S., we can expect a phenomenon that Rand calls truth decay, the diminishing role of facts in American public life, to be out in full force. 
This, of course, is nothing new, but there will likely be even more distrust, spreading of conspiracy theories, and disagreements over not just what's right, but what's real. Ray Block Jr. leads Rand's efforts to counter the wide-ranging truth decay problem, and he shared some tips as part of a Q&A on Rand.org this week. Be an active consumer and an empowered consumer of information, he says. That means you should scrutinize and cross-check everything you read and ask yourself, what goal does this information accomplish? While truth decay isn't a problem any one person can fix, this is one way we can all do our part to chip away at it. That's it for this week's episode. If you'd like to hear more about what we discussed today, check out the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. Happy New Year, and we'll see you next week. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis.